Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the word supernatural. Will you say the word supernatural? Come on out loud, everyone. Supernatural? We're talking about the supernatural. My definition runs like this. Something that exists outside of the natural realm. That's why I'm talking about super or supra above. The supernatural is outside of the natural realm. Most everything we do is in the realm of the natural, the realm of the mind, the emotions, what we feel, see, taste, smell. We are naturalites. We understand and move and live and breathe in that realm called the natural. I'm trying to press you into a mindset That would at least understand you're not just in the realm of the natural. There's another realm called the supernatural. And it says that the supernatural is above and beyond the natural realm. That's why it's hard for us to press into it. It's above and it's beyond. We don't usually move into it unless we have a crisis. Or unless something really special happens. That touch of God maybe at salvation or Maybe at a time when the Holy Spirit visits us, we actually feel, like the book of Hebrews chapter 6 describes, we taste of the kingdom to come. We actually taste of something that's beyond us. And it gives us an appetite for that thing that's beyond us. What is beyond us is the kingdom of God. God himself. The Holy Spirit. The power of miracles. the, The realm of the invisible, which we know exists in our mind. Where there's angels and there's demons and there's God himself and a throne and Holy Spirit and activity and voices and singing and things go on and heaven itself is going on right now. And so we know there's a realm beyond us. Most of us as we get near someone that's on the deathbed or near death or going through a death experience, we hope like crazy that there's a realm beyond. All of a sudden, even the wealthiest person, the smartest person, the person who has lived their life in the fullest of strength, enters that last moment hoping that there is a realm beyond and I'm going to go to the right place. That there's something beyond life itself. The older you get, the more you understand. Life is so fast. Life is here and gone. You're 10, you're 20, you're 50, you're 70, and it just seems like yesterday. And all the things that you had passion for in the beginning aren't the same as you grow older. Passions change and values change. What's important changes. Relationships become much larger. Things that are precious to you could be as simple as just that relationship with a child, which was not so simple before, but now that's the simplest, the most valuable thing in your life is to have that relationship with that person or with a spouse or with a sibling or a mom or a dad, the relationship thing becomes huge. All of a sudden, the promotion at the job, not so big. What you really thought you would live for and what you're living for is not the same. And there's something in every person that hopes for the eternal. But Ecclesiastes says, there's something in every person that We actually have, and this is what Ecclesiastes describes it, we have a piece of eternity in us. There's something in us that longs for the eternal. 
Something in us that longs for the supernatural, the beyond. It's in us to think about it. It's in us to question it. It's in us to reach for it. It's in us to do whatever we can to press into that realm. Some people will do it wrongfully. They'll press into that realm through the wrong gate. They'll find the supernatural, but it's not the holy supernatural, not the God supernatural, and it can be a very harmful supernatural. Supernatural we're talking about. It's a supernatural, as in my definition, where God, divine nature, very important piece of my definition, I won't go off on it, but it's that divine character piece of God that invades earth. It's understanding who God is, what God does, what he is limited that he won't do with an individual, and what he will do. It's God invading our lives. That supernatural becomes very real. I'm talking about supernatural turnarounds. A supernatural turnaround is a divine encounter with God. Now, that divine encounter can be the salvation encounter. That would be the first for sure. Because this word is the word that got me started on this supernatural turnaround. It's the word reverse. Where God comes in and he reverses something. That reverse can be my circumstance. God turns it around. That reverse can be my thought patterns. If I'm a negative person or a person with a negative habit pattern, a person that has worse than negative, maybe it's an anger negative, maybe it's a a life-changing negative that actually pushes you into a personality or a way of making decisions that are so wrong for your life. A reversal means that thought pattern would shift backwards. And what was negative will turn to a positive and what was a bad circumstance will reverse itself and you'll begin to see a turnaround in your life direction. Your life direction right now, whether you are a person on a journey to find God, a person on a journey to get back to God, a person on a journey to know God. Maybe you are saved, but you don't really know God. I was saved, never knew God. I had salvation, but had no spiritual life in me. I know what that's like. A reversal could be that you have a path where God visits you in such a way that your whole thoughts are filled with the reality of God, a reality of the Holy Spirit, a reality of His presence. And your life is changed. What would you write down right now if, if you could just slip a note to heaven? If you actually could write an eternal language with an eternal pen that had no time barrier and no invisible, visible barrier. And you could just take that note and just simply hand it to heaven. What would you write on it? What would be your note? What turnaround word would you put there? Marriage? Health, children, life, habits, mindsets. Would you hand heaven your doubts and say, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just, I just can't believe. Help my doubts. Turn around. And your ability to have faith in God, that would be a turnaround. What would you write on your note? What turnaround do you need in your circumstance right now? Your circumstance that would drive your life 
in a particular situation. We talked on the last message about supernatural turnarounds for finance. I used an Old Testament story where I gave you four things about the story. It started with a word from God. It had a specific time. It turned the circumstance around. It turned everything toward a new direction. That was my last message, just in the supernatural turnaround of resources. And this, this forget that it's just finance, because the whole principle in this story is the principle of turnaround. There was a famine. There's no resources. They have no way to get them. They can't see them. And they are simply, absolutely buying into a future that says there is no future. And it was a leper who turned the whole nation around. A leper. A leper who had a thought. Why do we sit here and die? Why don't we get up and just move out and see what happens? Just a thought. A leper that turned the whole situation around. Because see, even though the city was starving, just one mile down the road was all the food they could ever eat. All the provision they could ever have. There was nothing lacking in their land, but they themselves were living in lack and famine and starvation. But that was not the reality of the situation. There was plenty, but it just wasn't in their hands. So the prophet came along and said, Thus says the Lord, about this time tomorrow, you'll be selling flour in the gate for a dime, bags of it, and you'll be... And the, and the people said, there's no way, there's no possible way. The word of the Lord can't be fulfilled. There's no flour, there's no corn, there's no provision, there's nothing. Well, the prophet was seen into the realm of the possible and God was going to use the realm of the natural and turn it to a supernatural and provide for them. But they couldn't see it. Which happens most of the time. We can't see it. So we need a word of the Lord. We need to go to the scriptures. And the scriptures don't agree with our natural mind. If you try to live your natural mind and apply the Bible just to your natural thoughts, you're going to have real trouble. Because there's a lot in this book that does not agree with your natural thinking. Will not go along with how you're going to handle it. The Bible is opposite of our natural. Most of the time when I'm led of the Spirit and want to obey what the Lord wants me to do, I simply do what is opposite in my natural mind in many circumstances. Instead of hate, I love. Instead of hold somebody, I release them. Instead of being stingy, I become prosperous. Instead of just, I can just go through all the law of opposites because I know that the Word of God is not the same as my mind. When it comes to your finance and your resource and your future, you need to have a supernatural turnaround. It starts with the word. It starts with the specific timing that God moves in your life. That's just on that one area. Now, let's talk about supernatural turnaround attitudes. 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 If I had to dig down in my message and try to find the bottom line, the foundation, the starting point. I would say it's this word right here. Attitude. Where does supernatural turnaround start? With an attitude. Your attitude is your gate. It's your door. It's your path. You can choose. Everyone say out loud, you can choose. Now on a scale of one to ten, don't flinch, don't, 
lift your hand. Don't bump the person next to you. But if you had to judge your attitude today, this week, this month, and maybe in a season of time in your life, would you have a great attitude, full of faith, positive, God can, God will, I'm on it, I'm happy, I'm smiling, I'm going through the fire, but I'll get... Do you have a good attitude? I'm not sure, but I think God will, and I'm not happy all the time, but I'm trying to be, and you know, I have so many doubts and so much baggage. And a, Do you have a bad attitude? God won't, God can't, I can't, I won't, it won't change. Doesn't matter what people say. Doesn't matter what that preacher says. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't work for me. I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't get turned around. I don't have those kind of things happen to me. I don't know why. I had a person stop me last night and tell me that. I don't know, Pastor Frank, you're talking about turnarounds, but you know what? I don't get turnarounds, and, and I just get tested all the time, and nothing works out. And I had to stop them and say, you know, that might be that you actually confess what you're confessing right now and always expect what you expect right now. It doesn't work for me. It's not for me. Nothing's going to happen. I said, why don't you just reverse that out and start saying, everything has not happened to this point. It must be my time. Come on. If nothing has happened, the percentage, the worst guy in the three-point line sometime is the guy who is zero for ten because if he shoots number 11, he'll probably make it. The percentages are for him at that point. Whatever has happened in your life, whatever has fallen apart, whatever has come against you, whatever you need to have a turnaround, could you not believe that now is your time because God is good, God is just, God is right, God is able, and your confession is, my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. Therefore, this is my time. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to have an attitude about it. Come on. Let's give the Lord a shout and a clap right now. An attitude. One of the greatest days of my life, absolutely, was when I understood I could change my attitude. I was a young pastor, 30 years old, pioneer in a church, by myself, bunch of young people, hardly any money, no bot building, no staff, nothing. Every problem came to me. Every counseling, every, everything rested at my door because I'm the only person that's doing anything at that point. New pressures came. Pressures for budgets and pressures for buildings and permits and trying to find a way and train people and counsel at the same time. And I was so stretched. Starting our family at the same time and just being so stretched. Every area of my life was stretched out. And then I would have people send me a letter or, or drop a note in the offering and criticize something I was doing. Or people come by and say, you know, I'm leaving the church because uh, your preaching's not feeding me anymore. And I would just want to say to them, nobody can feed you. You're a bottomless pit. But I didn't say that. I would, I would not. But I was starting to think bad things about the people I'm pastoring. When they would leave, I would go, oh, that too. Hallelujah. And I found myself, because I'm a pretty positive person, but I was changing. I was saying things like, I can't believe the offering is so low. 
I cannot believe with all those people only that much money would come in. These people are thieves and robbers. Someone is holding back and it ain't me. Well, that's a bad thought for a pastor. It's none of my business. I can't judge your heart and judge your action. I have to encourage you into faith. I can't judge that. But I found myself kind of turning and thinking and messing up. And then I preached a series. If you ever get a bad attitude, whatever you do, don't preach a series out of the book of Jeremiah. That's the wrong book to preach from when you're ticked off at the church. Because it's filled with stuff. I mean, Jeremiah had an attitude. May you burn and may you burn slowly. I mean, that was Jeremiah. This guy had an attitude with the people. So I was in my office. I had a little square office with orange carpet and a cherry wood desk. That in itself would send you into depression. And I was sitting there at my desk and I was fuming. The city turned us down again and the building didn't fit us and the offerings were low and a couple of families had left and I'm by myself and I'm under pressure and I'm not feeling good and, and I'm, just, I'm just going through it. And God came into that office. He said, are you going to live like this? And I said out loud, yes. <laughs> and I felt the Holy Spirit just nudge again. Are you going to live like this? I said, I don't want to live like this. I got down on my knees. I repented. I said, God, forgive me for a stinking bad attitude that I have. Don't know how I got it, but I'm going to get rid of it right now. So I prayed with my, on my hands and knees, my face on the carpet. I said, God, visit this guy right here. I need help. I don't want to be a mean pastor. I don't want to be a judging pastor. I don't want to always be ticked off every offering, ticked off at every family, ticked off at every demon. I'll be ticked off the rest of my life because there's more demons than there are days. What am I going to do? I'm going to change my attitude. So I repented, got my heart right. When I stood up from that prayer, I said out loud, I'm a changed man. My attitude will never be controlled by another person, another circumstance, another bad thing the rest of my life. I will choose to smile, love life, and go through life with a good attitude. You know what? It changed my life. When people would say, we're going to another church, I'd say, great. What church are you going to? So-and-so. He's a great preacher. God bless you. And I meant it. I wasn't just saying When people would come and say, you know, that message was a little hard. I'd say, you know, you're right. I need to change that. Pray for me right now. Okay. And when the people gave their offering, I would get up and I would cheer. Whatever the offering was, I would say to them, you are awesome. You are cheerful givers. You are abundant givers. You're giving more than enough. And that was kind of a lie, but it was a faith lie. (laughs) I was cheering them on instead of beating them up. And you know what? Lo and behold, offerings went up. Lo and behold, people started staying in church. Lo and behold, God started moving in a better way. Why? It wasn't, maybe there's a lot of reasons. One for sure. I changed my attitude. You can choose, come on, say it. Uh, Let's just, Time out. Step over here. 
Anybody here have a bad attitude? Would you lift your hand so I don't feel so bad just repenting myself? Good. You naughty people. Yes, we go through attitude problems. But for you to have a turnaround, you've got to get a hold of that right now. You don't want to live like this. You don't want to think like this. You don't want to feel like this. You don't want to murmur all the time. You don't want to have this negative thing that hangs over your vocabulary. A negative attitude will fill your life with negative stuff. Negative stuff, well, you can choose. Come on, say it again. Here's a model guy that chose a good attitude. Caleb. Numbers 14. The Bible says, but my servant Caleb has a different... The scripture thought so much of the subject, they put the word in there. He had a different attitude. God noticed the man's attitude. Go back a few years. This is the second time that God noticed this man. Forty years earlier... Him and Joshua go in with the 10 spies. There's 12 of them with Joshua and Caleb to spy out the land of Canaan. And they saw walled cities, chariots of iron, giants, people of war, armies. And all the spies' hearts were filled with fear. And they came back and they said to Moses, we, we, cannot, we cannot do this. Moses said, what do you mean? I thought you said the grapes were as big as watermelons. They are. I thought you said the land was fertile and grows crops like you can't believe it does. But also there's there's giants and there's walled cities and there's armies and there's unbelievable big people there that are ready just to... I, I don't... We don't even have an army. Moses, we can't do this. And as they were tearing down the vision, we can't. They're too big. It's Caleb and Joshua says, time out, wait, hey, 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 hey. Stop. Those giants are bread for us. I want you to say out loud, my circumstances are bread for me. Why? Because when you eat them, you get stronger. When they eat you, you get weaker. But if you know how to eat the giant, if you know how to eat the circumstance, you will get stronger as you move into life. And Caleb says, no, no, no. Hey, the giants are bread for us. The walled cities will fall. We are more than capable of taking this land. Don't you guys bail out now? God is with us and we can do it. But they would not bend. So God came down and God was a little upset. God said, this generation, these ten spies and all their families will die in the wilderness. Matter of fact, a whole generation will spend 40 years in the wilderness. I'm going to let a generation of unbelievers die off. And God did. The only people of the older generation, think about this, think about this, was Joshua and Caleb. All the people younger were coming up, but all the people older died off. Forty years of it. And finally the last one died. Joshua and Caleb probably didn't want to party, but they were saying, he's gone. He's gone. He's dead. We can go in now. Because God said, until all of them are gone. You won't step foot in my land. But Joshua and Caleb were the only two older people left in their family. Think about it. True. Now they go into the Canaan land. Caleb is 80. He's 80. 
Joshua is now the ruler. Moses is dead. And Joshua is parceling out the land to all the different tribes and the different people. And up steps Caleb. Hi, Josh. Hey, Cave, how you doing, man? How you been? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty horrible journey in the wilderness, wasn't it? Yeah, that was tough stuff. But we're in the land now. We got through the Jordan. We got through Jericho. And now we're on our way. He says, we are. Caleb, what can I give you? What do you want? Caleb says, well, <clears throat> I want the hill country. Joshua says, you don't. No, no, you don't. You don't want the hill country. It'd be like, I'm a 20-year-old church plant, and I can church plant in Maui or Brooklyn. <laughs> and I go to you and say, I want a church plant in Brooklyn. <laughs> no, no you, you want Maui. You don't want Brooklyn. That's what Caleb's doing right here. Caleb says, give me the hill country. Josh says, no, you don't want the hill country. Giants. All the Anakims live there. All the... The city of Gath is there. I mean, all the giants. And come on, Caleb, you're an older man. You, you, you should not go after the mountain at this age. You, you're not as strong as you were when we, when we came out. You, uh, come on, man, you're my buddy. And I don't want you to get taken out by one of these guys. You should not go up to the hill country. It's the hardest piece of land in all of Canaan. But Caleb just held his ground. Why? Because this guy has an attitude right here. And Caleb says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Josh, but I was strong when we came into the land the first time. And I might be a little weaker in my body, but my spirit is just as strong. And I do want the hardest place because that's my attitude. Take the hardest place. Don't take the easy road. Take the hard dream. Take the hard land. Go after it. And I will overcome these giants. And I will establish my family. But Joshua was taken back and said, okay. Okay. So he did. But he didn't finish it off. Later on, his family comes to Joshua. And says, uh, we want the rest of our dad's inheritance. Now, you would understand if this was his son, or his son's sons, or a bunch of cousin guys, but wasn't. Now, listen to me. It was his daughters. Daughters don't fight. Daughters don't go to war, especially in that day. Daughter did not do what these women requested. But the girls stood in front of him and said, we want our dad's inheritance. <laughs> Come on, girls. This is, it's not a girl thing. Uh, you know, go home and make some pancakes or, you know, you know, love your husband, have children and live a long life. But, you know, this is real. This is warfare. These are giants. You're, you're not. The girls stood their ground and said, the spirit of our dad it's on us. You give us the rest of the hill country or we might just take you out. <laughs> they had an attitude. Joshua had to step back again and say, wow. Okay. And in fact, 
They took it all. They took it all. Now, your attitude for a supernatural turnaround, if you take the Caleb principle, I would be talking to at least two groups of people for sure. The first group would be the older group, 50 and over. Those that have already lived five decades and many dreams and visions and crashes and burns and experiences and, and hurts and baggage and problems and, and your life is now pushing 50, 55, 60, 65 and you're not thinking vision, you're not thinking hill country, you're not t- thinking about dreams, you're not thinking about what is hard, you're thinking about retirement, you're thinking about living a life on the coast with a mobile home or Maybe not the coast. You're thinking about going somewhere and doing. I want to challenge everybody that is 50 and over that this is not your time to back up and take the low land or the easy land. This is your time to get involved with another generation and take the mountains, the hard country, the hill country, the giant country, and lead that generation into the provisions of God. Retirement is an American term. It's not in the kingdom. There's no such thing. No such thing. I will never retire. I might change job descriptions. I will never retire. With my last breath, even if I have false teeth, I will gum the devil to death. I will not. I will not give in to an attitude of it's over and now give me my rocking chair and let someone else do it. I'll be out there with my cane shouting a generation on saying, come on, let's take another mountain. Let's let's send another missionary. Let's plant another church. Come on, people of God. Don't give up on the dreams that God has for your life just because you're older. It's wrong. It's a work of the devil. You're in your prime. Well, I don't look like it. I'm not going by what you look like. I'm going by the size of your spirit. I'm going by the size of your attitude. I'm going by what's inside of you that says, Oh, God can. It's, it's that grandma that takes that prodigal young boy out of high school. It's the grandma, even if the parents give up or someone else. It's the grandma that gets involved. Prays that kid back onto the path. Challenges them with the word of the Lord. If you are a grandma, you have power with prayer. You have power. It's an attitude. An attitude. When I think about the people that have had the greatest effect in life. Most of them had flaws, physical limitations, problems. They had overcome so much. The people that do great things for God are not people that are handed everything. They're warriors. They're people that fight through. They have an attitude about life. They don't give up. Just to break into the basketball season, forgive me for a second. But my favorite team, even though Duke would be one of them and so would a few others, but my favorite team attitude by far, Butler. And the coach for Florida hit it right on the head when they interviewed him after they lost. And they should not have lost to Butler. The coach says, well, they're an unbelievable team. You know, they know how to run their plays. 
He says, but the thing I fear about them most is they never give up. They want to win. They have a winning thing inside of them that is a, it's, it's beyond anything I've seen ever in a basketball team. They just want to win. They will not give up. And I thought to myself, yes, the difference is not just in the three or just in the play. The difference is in the heart. They were down by nine points. Coming right to the end of the game, and I said to myself, Florida has this game. Butler's going to get out, but man, what a great run. And right down to the wire, they just kept at it, stealing the ball and fouling people and tackling people like football on the, on the, I mean, they're going after. They won't give up right down to the last second. They pressed it into overtime. And now I'm on the edge of my seat saying, go Butler. Go Butler. You're going to win this game. Okay, enough for basketball. It takes an attitude of never give up. Never give in. Your supernatural turnaround has a hinge on the door and the hinge is an attitude. Even if you can't turn the door, you can put a hinge on the door. And the hinge is, God can. Give me the hill country. God will come through for us. I'm due for a turnaround. God can do this. Last slide. Guard your attitude. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I give you this scripture for this reason. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Listen to what the Bible says. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If you want to change your attitudes, get the Word of God in your heart. Not rocket science. It's not deep theological stuff here. It's reality. Just pick up the Bible and start reading chapters every day. Get more of the Bible in you than unbelief. Get more of the Bible in you than a bad attitude. Get more of the Bible in you than a limited thought pattern. Begin to confess what the Bible actually says about God and you. Can I hear an amen?